Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Movement PT Coffee Cast. My name's Dalton, and with me, as always, is my beautifully bearded friend, William. William, how are we doing today? Uh, doing excellent, man. Got my cup of coffee here. I'm ready to go. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready to go as well. I've noticed that you've trimmed the beard, though. It is no longer savage mode. It's more professional <laughs> professional mode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the beard has a mind of its own, remember? so <laughs> Yes. Uh, when it when it wants to be trimmed, then it's time to be trimmed. <laughs> All right. I like it. It looks good, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, guys. We're going to get into the episode this week. Um, we're doing an interview. We're interviewing Frank Benedito. He's uh he's got a lot of he's got a long resume, so I'm going to try and uh, keep it nice and short. But he's a he's a physical therapist, uh, strength and nutrition coach. He's a business owner. He's owned multiple clinics. Um, I know he's doing a new. Uh, thing now with uh, Counter-Strike combat sports, um, working with UFC athletes. So we got a lot of awesome stuff to talk about on this episode. So we're going to bring Frank in. Frank, how are you doing today? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No problem. I, I figured you'd want me to have a coffee. So I uh, <laughs> yes. pretended to make a coffee and it's actually water because I wasn't going <laughs> to eat the, drink the shitty hotel coffee. So That's fair. <laughs> but, That's fair. I appreciate that. I have that. a cup to fit in. Yeah, yeah you, I wanted to fit in. Yeah. We, we won't tell anybody. We won't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. All right. And my, my last name is pronounced Benedetto. It's okay. Everybody no. does it. And I, meant, <laughs> but, and, and I meant to ask you before we started recording. It's like my worst nightmare is messing up people's name. And I messed it up. It's all good. All good. I'm used to it. <sighs> Shame on you, Dalton. I know. I know. <laughs> um, Frank, why don't you just kick it off and like, do a little intro about yourself. Maybe give our listeners a little bit of background. Yeah, sure. So I think I'm going to go all the way back to high school, like why I became a PT uh, nice. in the beginning. So I had, I had broken my femur had a phenomenal recovery, first day PT, came home, said, I knew what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, fast forward a couple of years, year between undergraduate and graduate school, I had a torn labrum and in, my, in my shoulder, and I went to PT that, in retrospect, sucked. And I didn't know it sucked because the people were nice. And I ended up having a surgery that I, and I know I didn't really need because I just didn't try to get stronger. And I was always like, you know, a pretty weak person in upper body. Uh, surgery failed, got over tightened me, did a labral shift, like an outdated surgery for the time. And I went back to the same shitty PT that was a nice person because I didn't know they were shitty. And I never recovered, you know, like, so like, like, that's my external rotation. That's my internal, I have like 10 degrees of internal rotation. And this is like 15 years later. Um, and then the next year I go to school and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, how does this, how, why this is what's supposed to happen? Like, how come that didn't happen to me? And I liked the people that, that were trying to take care of me. I was so confused. And I was like, but this is what's supposed to, I was supposed to get stronger. And then they were supposed to stretch me and they were supposed to teach me all this stuff. And it never happened. Uh, so I was like, all right, maybe I guess that place was bad. And then as I started to explore the PT profession, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is throughout, you know, this is the majority of our profession uh, unfortunately, in my opinion, is really nice people who mean well, who are either uh, who are incompetent, either based off of their like learning style of not 
progressing anything since they've graduated or from being trapped in a system that doesn't promote the ability to actually take care of people. And it was that, that moment that was what shaped me and you know, made me who I am as a, as a clinician. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's dive into that. Like right off the bat, I think it's a, it's a good thing to talk about is like, why do you, what do you think it is that leads to those scenarios? Like with clinicians or people that are maybe not approaching it the best way? Like, do you think it's just lack of education? Like our education system is letting us down. Um, is it just maybe like ignorance on the clinician's part in terms of progressing with the times with the research? Like what, what do you think it is in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it's 100% all of those. Like, the, there's, I don't think there's one that, uh, you know, can be attributed to more um, other than the monetization strategy of physical therapy. So the, the only way, so when I, was, when I was younger, I thought I was like hell-bent on changing the profession, uh, and I still am. But the, the, the way I thought I was going to do it was purely through education. So I was like, you know, I'm going to teach everybody. I'm going to do this. And uh, so I started finding mentors around the country and I became double board certified and I, you know, I got credentialed as hell just to continually push the limits of my knowledge. And what I started to realize was that unless we change the monetization strategy of how PTs earn income, that nothing else can change. You know, so if we're trapped in this insurance medical doctor driven model, uh, it can't allow for the right thing to actually be done because it's, re it's impossible to make enough money to in that ecosystem, uh, given like the latest research. So if you implement truly what I believe is the, like the latest research from uh, strength and conditioning, the pain science realm, like all, all, from every, from every segment, it doesn't match up with the actual strategy that we're most of the profession is using. And so did some of these things lead you to starting your clinic pro beer health and what, yeah. like when you started that, like what were you trying to do differently? So pro beer health, um, was, was our first, first business that we owned. So it was me, uh, my business partner, Dr. Cedric Haddad, who's also a doctor of physical therapy. And that like the big thing that we changed there was direct to consumer. So this was 2015. And uh, we were basically like, fuck medical doctors. We're not doing this anymore. <laughs> and we need to go straight to, straight to customers and get them consuming PT in a way that like, really wasn't uh, happening at the time and do it on a mass scale. Where, where the flaw was, though, we were still out of network. So uh, out of network physical therapy is like one step, one huge step better than being in network because uh, you, you have a lot more freedom and you could earn a lot more money, um, but it's still connected to the insurance system. It, it always was viewed that it was like kind of untouchable because it was like in this weird hybrid of like cash insurance area um, until 2017 when the governor started putting arbitrary limits on maximum reimbursement of out-of-network benefits. Um, so at that point, our monetization strategy that we had thought was going to be untouchable uh, started to started to be attacked. And I found myself no longer trying to innovate for the client. I was trying to work on my business to offset these cuts to maintain the quality that we had had. And, and, and that, that really, that, that wasn't fun. Yeah. And, and in terms of like building like the principles and the values around your clinic, how did you guys differ like within that insurance model from like maybe some of the care that you had gotten before? 
Oh, we did, you know, full hour evaluations. Um, I made sure that no clinician ever was allowed to adopt one philosophy. So the, the, the evaluation technique we used was how do I figure out what this person needs? Like what, what philosophy or clinical approach did I learn that matches with this person's psychographic, demographic, like, you know, goals, their, you know, their, their actual injury history. Like what do I have to match with this? Um, and, and I gave every clinician autonomy as far as their schedule goes. So if they needed more time. It was un- like, they didn't have to ask me if they needed 45 minutes hands on with somebody. It was like, just book it, just book it out. It's fine. Uh, and everybody got individualized treatment geared specifically to their goals. So there was never this like, uh, focus on like just range of motion. It was always like, okay, we have to get you back to triathlons. We have to get you back to running. We have to get you back to some sort of goal. I feel like goals is a huge thing uh, overall, you know, like, and I, and I think, you know, because when I, when I was in school, I had some difficult, uh, you know, situations with placements where I felt like I was kind of limited. Um, so that, at that point, that was kind of my advice for like younger students was like, if they're in a similar situation is to kind of focus, just focus on the goal. Because if you have that in mind, uh, it's, it's hard to, um, it's hard to justify not striving for it, you know, but I, I like that there's like, uh, that that opens up so many different ways that you can sort of achieve those goals. And it's not just sort of one approach. Yeah. I, I think that unfortunately right now, when like almost going back to the original question here is, uh, we have the insurance model and now we have cash model. And in my opinion, there's too many cash PT clinics that are opening that are just kind of glorified massage therapy clinics where the value proposition is not actually getting to people's goals. It's, you know, joint mobs and massage, which I'm not against by any means, but to to make that like the core product and hinge your value proposition on hands-on time is actually, in my opinion, taking a step back in our profession that we need to be the person that like when they, when somebody says I can't run, they need to know like, Oh, I go see my doctor of physical therapy to get me to be able to run. And then the tool that I might use is, you know, depending on what clinic or where, what style you go with, it might be a joint mobile, it might be corrective exercise. It might be voodoo band, who cares? But as long as it's in the, in the direction of that person's goal, then you're starting to create a brand based off of, of, of that result, not the actual technique that you're using. Mm. Yeah. Cause you're shifting the expectations there too, uh, from coming in to get a certain treatment to coming in to achieve something you want to achieve. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that one of the things I've been trying to tell all, anybody in PT right now is that we need a rebrand. Like the physical therapy profession needs to just needs to re we all need to just rebrand and actually stop using the word physical therapy. Uh, we need to use the, we need to use the skill sets that we've learned as doctors of physical therapy, but we need to drop this, this, uh, completely service oriented frame of mind and business model and start talking about the outcomes that we're actually going to, uh, actually do. So like think of like financial planning or like wealth management, like these are, when when you're advertised these things, you're advertised like save for your retirement, like be able to vacation more, uh, you know, imagine not having to work three jobs, all this other stuff. 
they're not saying like monthly budgeting. You know, like they're not just saying we are monthly budgeters. We're going to help you monthly budget and save. You know, like that, that's so physical therapists. We're we're basically constantly talking about like what we do, and and such less about uh, what we can do for the person. Uh, in my opinion, we need to completely rebrand that. Yeah. I like that thought. How, like, that's obviously a, a big task to take on. How would you, how do you think we do that? Like what steps do you think we take as a profession to start to transition to those things? Um, I think what I'm trying to do with Counter-Strike is an example of that. So I'm trying to be a leader by doing um, instead of, you know, just preaching this, I'm preaching and also then saying, well, this is my interpretation of how to do this. I'm not saying the only way or the, the right way, but it's my interpretation of how to do this. So with Counter-Strike, I'm 100% leveraging everything I've learned as a doctor of physical therapy, our medical background, and uh, I'm going to use that to really enhance the lives and the performance of, of amateur and pro fighters. If you look at my bio link, if you look at the website, there's not one mention of physical therapy as like a service and it doesn't even really call me a physical therapist. I say, you know, I say I'm a double board certified doctor of physical therapy. And then that, that's like the last mention, you know, I'm not mentioned as like physical therapist in any other way. Um, and all I'm focusing on is how do I, how do I keep fighters healthier, stronger and making weight more often? Cause those are, those are like the three things that they actually care about. And I'm using my skill sets to help deliver that. Yeah, that's something I really like noticed about just your resume and stuff. Like I really appreciate the fact that, you know, you're you're doing a lot of different things, not just like physio specifically and not necessarily brand yourself as a physiotherapist, but using those skills. And I think that's huge because then you're going into those other fields that might have some idea of what physiotherapy is that they've had in the past that might not be what you what we're trying to push it as now let's say as like a new type of physiotherapist physiotherapy so i think it's good that you're out there doing that and i think more people in our profession need to like step out into those realms and use those skill sets um in different in different areas like such as mma or even other athletics right yeah yeah i think like people need to niche up and start focusing on what that niche needs and not what they can offer so i do um you know, a really like an unadvertised business coaching thing on the side, just like as a small, like uh, when people ask me questions, if it's, if they're working on an exciting enough project and uh, the personality fit is there, I'll take them on as a, as a mentor and take them through, you know, just theories of like thought exercises and very tangible, um, you know, worksheet type things to help formulate their ideas. And one of the things I always end up doing is saying like, what niche do you care about? Then three years, five years, you're not going to get tired. Like you can't imagine being tired. Like, you know, like for me, it's, it's the UFC and uh, traveling with them and just getting to know these fighters. I'm so invested in, in their personal success that like it drives me to Monday, make my product better because Shane uh, who fought two weeks ago is like providing for his daughter through fighting. Like This is like a fucking Rocky movie for real. Like this is, this yeah. is insane. Um, so it drives me to make my product even better and deliver those results, which is only going to make me money in the process. So if your passion is runners, if your passion is Pilates, if your, if your passion is the less uh, common things that I just listed and more towards like the unique niches, like what I'm choosing, I think that's, that's really the key. That's the first step. Yeah. 
I think it's awesome that you've like kind of, you're clearly passionate about, uh, about this area that you're in. But what I'm curious about is how did you get into, uh, helping UFC fighters? Yeah. Great, crazy story. And it's like, uh, I think the quote to summarize the, the situation is, uh, luck is preparation meeting opportunity. And, you know, I don't really believe in, in luck, but I, but I, I do believe that like you actively, you, you actively have to be constantly searching for opportunities. And that's what most people interpret as luck. So I'm out to lunch with Nick Soriano, who's a, a high school wrestler who just won the NCAAs. Uh, I've been working with him since he was in early high school years. Uh, I see him at lunch. And Jimmy Rivera, who at the time was number 14th ranked UFC fighters, like sitting behind us. I have no idea who he is. And uh, Nick asked me something about his hip. I was like, yeah, you know, you do this, this, and this. And Jimmy turns and he's like, uh, hey, you work on hips? That was the exact quote. I was like, <laughs> yeah, sure do, man. And he's like, I'm always looking for ways to keep my hips looser. I was like, give me your number. I'll, I'll, I'll get you in tomorrow. He says, all right, my name's Jimmy. Get his number. I was like, all right, bro, I'll hook you up. I get him in. I start off every evaluation with the same question. Uh, before I get started, I'd like to get to know you a little bit more. So tell me about yourself. And he's like, I'm the number 14th ranked UFC fighter. And I was just like, play it fucking cool. Play it cool. No big deal. No big deal. Uh, and then I, you know, I, help, I helped him. And he, he, basically, he, basically, he basically said that I had come up with the same exact uh, yeah, movement pattern issues that the UFC's docs said, but the docs didn't actually like, tell him what to do about it. Um, and then from there, I just started gaining the trust of, of more of his teammates, became the director of performance for the Tiger Shulman's pro team. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Wow. What is it like working with that population? Like, what are some of the unique sort of, I guess, challenges that you might see, might face? Um, you know, I guess the, the biggest challenge is there's so much I want to revamp about like a fight camp or, or their entire training philosophy that you have to be extremely, um, I guess, like emotionally intelligent about the way you go about introducing things, especially if somebody has been a successful fighter, you know, they've gotten to a certain point in their career saying like, well, this is how I ate. And this is how I trained. These are the sprints I've done. And you can't just come in and be like, well, I know what I'm talking about. I'm a doctor. Like it, it, it's gotta be uh, baby steps and be like, Hey, you know, try, try this on the treadmill Friday and just let me know how you feel. Or like, Hey, have you ever worn a Harry monitor? Try this out. And then slowly but surely you start to get questions. Then from there you could start to influence. And now I'm at a unique point uh, where like this week, for example, is the first time I've ever programmed the nutrition pre weigh-ins. So with Julio Arce, I worked with a meal prep company and basically had uh, food shipped to the hotel um, to, you know, specifically created for, to make his weight cut as easy and healthy as possible. And uh, I'm pretty excited to say that like the UFC PI is for their performance Institute is now going to use that as like a beta test for other fighters, you know, so there's a lot of common sense things that I'm implementing that, but there's just like so many of them, you have to figure out how to implement it in a system. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I like how you say about, you have to be careful how you navigate those situations. Sounds very similar to just a normal, like clinical session, like that you would see even with someone that's coming, that's not like a UFC fighter. I feel like we do that often as a, uh, as physios trying to navigate those 
those situations. So it's just maybe on maybe a bit more of a grander scale with the, the people that you're, that you're working with. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's parallels. But is it like, do you feel sometimes pressured um, given that they have such high stakes? Yeah. I mean, it, it the, the pressure is insane. Uh, you know, when I give somebody um, like a lot of them didn't believe in weightlifting or strength training at all. Uh, so, so in martial arts, it was always like, it'll make you slower. It'll make you too big. It'll make it harder to cut weight. Uh, it's actually easier to cut weight if you have more muscle mass. And, uh, as you get older and as you go through the usage curve, you get weaker in your career, especially if you've been fighting for 10 years. So in my opinion, it's like a non-negotiable. You have to be strength training, especially if you're going to compete at these high levels. But, you know, getting somebody on a barbell for the first time is scary because I'm like, if they get fucking hurt, it's on me. And like, this is how this person provides this person's getting their first top 10 ranked fight. You know, so there, there's definitely a layer that uh, you have to be so careful about what you introduce when and to who, you know, so there's different fighters that I introduce certain things to, and I won't introduce to another one. Is there a learning curve just like super steep? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's actually the most, that's the best part of it is I'll, I'll like put a heart rate monitor on somebody. And like, you know, just tweak their conditioning so that they're hitting different energy systems. And two weeks later, they're like, bro, I'm not getting tired in the cage. And I'm just like, yep, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, same, same thing with strength. Strength. Like, like I have them doing such basic stuff because that's what's appropriate for them. They're, they're elite athletes, but they're novice lifters. So I have right. them, you know, trap bar deadlifting. I have them doing box squats. Those are pretty much their two primary lower lifts uh, for months because there's one not a reason to they're going up like you know 10 20 pounds every couple of weeks naturally um you know and, and i'm going to leave them there until they plateau and then i'll introduce complexity when i need to but so many trainers i think this is where the leverage of the dpt comes in so many strength coaches they introduce variety for the sake of variety they introduce variety in my opinion for selfish reasons to make it more interesting or they feel pressured to make it more interesting, almost like kind of like a cross, like an influence of CrossFit. Like, oh, we have to do something different. Like, no, we fucking, we're going to, we're going to trap our deadlifts every Tuesday. And so I feel like there's a reason to not, you know, and of course we're fluctuating, we're periodizing things based off of fights and uh, things like that. But it, it is, it is pretty amazing the learning curve that they have. Yeah. Um, that simplicity is interesting. Cause I mean, if we take it back to just like what I experience in clinic and I just work in like a, just like a general population clinic, I sometimes feel that some, that pressure to maybe like change something or make something a little bit more, um, interesting. Cause people come in sometimes expecting that as like, as like, um, like seeing a physio, but then like you realize like if you just stick with the basics, oftentimes, if you just stick with that for a longer period of time, you notice that they actually have better outcomes when they do that rather than trying yeah. to change everything up or making it kind of sexy, I guess, for a lack of a better term. Um, yep. How do you like maybe help people stick to that simple, simple plan and not feel like the pressure to change up stuff so often? Educate and educate often. So uh, I a hundred percent had the same philosophy as, as a PT. Um, and essentially what I would say is like at the end of the eval, I'd be like, all right, so we understand what variables we need to move. And what I'm going to tell you is that we can do this in two different ways. We could hammer those top three variables, make significant changes, and then move on to the next set of variables that we choose. 
or we can take six, 10 variables and all move them very slowly. In my experience, we need to move one variable very heavily. So if they're a mobility case, and you truly believe that like shoulder mobility and had some sort of, you know, crazy past trauma, like I'm going to go so all in on a mob- on like the three variables that I want to move that I'm going to, var- I'm going to, I'm going to hit it all of that. Yet I might use variety to get that. So they might feel like they're doing something different, but if I truly believe I need to get back external rotation, they might do it in standing. They might do it with active resistance. They might do it in laying on their side. They might do it five different ways, but in reality, all I'm doing is actually hitting external rotation. Mm. Yeah. I feel like where the skill comes as a, as a PT or a strength coach is taking things that don't seem sexy and making them appealing and valuable and valued by like the athlete or the client. Because like, I mean, I I have this all the time. Sometimes I, I even like feel bad if I just take someone with like, for example, like, uh, you know, forearm, some type of forearm tendinopathy and you just increase the load and you're like, but wait a minute, we've said that we were going to do this from the beginning and you have to like, really stick with it and reinforce that like this is what we need to do you don't need to make it uh overly complex in fact that might actually take you a step backwards yeah and and this actually hits a nerve on two two sides um remind me to go revisit the sexy thing (laughs) so uh but on the on the other side the there was there's a wrong way that people are doing this and uh, strength coaches that like, you know, cause that's really more of my competition right now. There's a few and some of them are taking down like, you know, trainer, MMA trainer of the year status, which is going to be mine in two years. Call the shot. <laughs> and, um, and, and the way they're, t- they're getting that is by making simple things sound so much more complex. Mm-hmm. I, I have uh, a friend and a strength coach. Her name is Asia that is helping me and uh, getting involved with counter-strike and we send each other, these like screenshots of these posts where it's like, you know, somebody doing literally external rotation, nine degrees. And the, the, the caption something like dynamic effort at the horizontal plane increases punching power by improving the eccentric, then the concentric pure human movement of the, of the shoulder rotation kinematics. And I'm like, I want to take the phone smash over my head. And then there's like 800 likes, uh, you know, 20 comments saying like, Oh my God, thank you so much. And all this other fanboy shit. And, uh, you know, the, the, the key there though, is that we need to start marketing. And I know I'm going to go off like a way tangent here, but like the rebrand that I'm talking about is we do need to move one step towards that without becoming, without selling our soul. So the whole, the whole sexy thing, uh, which we have to use a different word, but the, like the whole making it more appealing, uh, appealing to consumers, actual wants, is what we need to do. And there is a way to market. And I really think that that's what I'm shooting for as a lesson for all PPs in Counter-Strike is that uh, hopefully as I continue to, to market and learn to market even better, that what I'm representing is a step towards this guy who's dolling it up, but I'm also just being real. You know, like I'm actually just, uh, I'm, I'm just explaining the basics, but in a way where it's like, man, I got to do that. You know, if I want to have a fight career, I, ha- I, have to, I have to do this. And I want this guy to teach me because he clearly... Uh, has an understanding. I can't remember who posted it. it. Might have been you guys, somebody else, but it said like, "Be more like Neil Degrassi." Is that you guys? No, I did see someone post that though. 
so Neil, Neil deGrasse is the astrophysics guy who's yeah. you know, like, so like he, t- he takes the most world's most complicated topics and makes them easy to understand for regular people like us. So like we need to be more like Neil deGrasse and, and less like these other people that are making things like, uh, you know, complicated for self promoting reasons. Um, so what you're saying is make simple great again. <laughs> yeah. Make simple great again. Absolutely. Get the hat. Let's do it. Um, no, I think it's a good point. So, though, because uh, just because I've, those people that are, that are promoting the complexity and stuff, they're out there going hard on that. Right. And they're like pushing yeah, it. Whereas like, all in. whereas yeah. we're, we're some people are like, we have these people that are very intelligent and, and making simplicity great and all of that stuff, but we're not pushing it. It's like almost like afraid to market or maybe it's lack of know-how. I mean, that that's probably a, a part of it too as well. Cause we don't really get taught how to do that. Right. It's afraid to market. Uh, I'm going to close this blind here cause I'm increasingly glowing as the podcast goes on. <laughs> uh, I'm talking to you guys from UFC Rochester. So a hotel better. Yeah, there we go. Um, so I was afraid to market like my, one of my main, things I regret about Provier is that I was afraid to market. I didn't market myself as a PT. I didn't market the brand hard enough. I marketed hard inside the local uh, facilities we're in, but we didn't market to the, to the mainstream. And there's such a, a ego battle, like a year's worth of like, oh, I don't want to be that guy, but I don't really want to be who I am now still anymore uh, on like social media presence wise. And it, it took it took a lot of reading. Seth Godin is, is the go-to for me as far as marketing goes, trust-based, permission-based marketing. Yet he tells you like you need to make people feel the fear of missing out in a, in a healthy and appropriate way. So in my opinion, a fighter who's starving himself this week and then eating like crazy after he weighs in because he, he made it, like he should have the fear of missing out. That he's going to lose to one of my guys because my guys ate like perfection the entire week, had energy because they ate the right foods. They rehydrated properly using like electrolytes and, and ate perfectly for 36 hours leading up to the fight. Like he should look at my marketing and be like, fuck, how do I not do this? How could I not do this? That's the, that's the, that's where we have to start moving towards. So going off like the whole marketing thing, Frank, I know you made a transition from like your insurance based clinic with Provere to more of a cash based model. So what was that transition like and why did you take that? Um, step like in your career? Um, it, it all started with those cuts back in 2017, where we had been so um, passionate about reinvesting our profits into our clinicians and into our clients that these external cuts made that difficult and then impossible. So I, we, we had like a really torturous year where we weren't sure if it was the best thing to do to try to actually evolve Provier into this new model. Um, and honestly, selling it wasn't even a question. I, I, honestly, I would, I, I like mocked the people, the owners that sold. It just goes to show how sometimes perspective flips. Um, and, you know, we tried a couple of experiments and it, it really, it was one of those things where I learned firsthand that businesses take on like a life of their own and they become their own animal and the effort, money and time that it would have taken to change Provier, which was like a, a distinct entity that had years of existence uh, and clients that were used to the certain product and clinicians that were used to the way that product was delivered and gyms that hosted us who were used to it. It would have been a massive, most likely uh, profitless transition to, to evolving to the way I believe the future of PT is going to work. So we took a look around. There's a real market. 
there's a value in the market to sell it to uh, other people who, you know, continue the insurance model. And we made sure we weeded out all the evil ones, like professional physical therapy, like all, all the ones that, uh, you know, we knew that there would be no way the, the legacy would continue on. We weeded out and we, we ended up selling. Um, it was a really hard decision. It was really, really hard. Uh, but the, the, what I ended up transitioning to, and actually I do have a cash practice in the city that's actually pure physio. So I do that two days a week. Um, also inside martial arts school, so of two of the UFC fighters that, that I work with. Um, so I do still have my hand in like traditional treatment. And, um, you know, what I did there is actually, <laughs> I love evaluations. I love the process. It is mentally very rewarding for me. Uh, I feel like that's my primary skill set. And our skill set as a DPT is the diagnostic and programming perspective, meaning I think we need to, to, to embody like I need, I know you need stronger external rotation or something. And here's how I recommend you personally to start and progress that based off of your, your sport. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that I need to be the one to monitor that uh, precisely. So what I do there is I charge, you know, uh, a high rate for an evaluation and 30 days of care managed through an app. So it's a remotely managed platform. They have 24/7 access to me through the app, through a messenger. The uh, you know the, the it has you know phenomenal demos in the in the uh, like video demos, written demos, rep ranges, and I've, I evolved the program over the course of 30 days. So it's sort of like a membership model. Okay, that's in, that, that's interesting. Is that kind of how you? I know you talk about like how you see the future of how it's consumed, um, like physiotherapy. Um, is that how you kind of see it, or what's where's your head at when you think about the future? When I think about the future, I think at least in the short term, I do imagine the subscription model as being the primary way to access our information. So uh, through Counter Strike and through my you know the the in person locations, you know for Counter Strike, for example. Uh, people are actively signing up for a membership. It says subscribe now. It's like you know 250 or 450 a month, and I have a a lower demonetized version at 150 a month uh, for access to to my programming. And it's actually programming. It's not just like a PDF that everybody gets. Like they, they, through the different levels, they get different levels of customization, either just through a questionnaire, a one-time video conference, or a video conference that you know more often. But uh, essentially what people are paying for is a month of service in exchange for a rate. I think that's the only way to break the fee-for-service model, which is then always centric on the actual service provided. So if you're charging $100 a session, what you do in that session then is going to be deemed as the, as the actual product, not the, not the relationship and not the end goal of the working relationship with you. Mm-hmm. I think that's advantageous from several fronts. One, one place I can see that really being beneficial is around uh, expectations uh, from when the client comes in. Because if you know you're, you're going to have a long evaluation, lots of times to meet with somebody, but then they're helping you program for the next month uh, and, and they're they're kind of, you, you, you know, it's going to be more of a guidance role. Uh, you know that you're going to be putting in work in that process. So I feel like the nice thing about that model is that you have to do that. It sets those expectations right away. 
So it's almost, it's impossible for people to then become dependent on the provider. It doesn't exist. I mean, it it, it shifts. I'm a huge fan of the story brands book. uh, And it's, it talks about how you have to make your client the hero and not you. And in this role, I'm the guide, the client's the hero, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm guiding them along the way to fixing themselves and empowering them to take care of themselves. And I have really blunt conversations. Somebody comes in, they're 60 pounds overweight and their knees hurt. And I say like, listen, the the best thing I could do is actually help you lose some weight. Like, would you be open to me helping with that? And obviously it takes some rapport and you need to lead up to that and feel out what's the right way to deliver that. And I will give them, you know, knee exercises. You have to give them like, you know, like you have to give them something that, that, that addresses the local symptomology and, and works in the local biomechanical level to like to a degree if there, if there's a real component. But the reality is her doing a seven day food log, uploading in the app, it's going to be the best thing for her needs. So it allows me to do whatever the hell I think is going to deliver that person. It sets up these, you know, pretty amazing coaching relationships. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like you hit a certain, like, again, niche of people? Because I could see like that definitely, that's something I would love to do. But like, do you feel like there's a lot of people out there just thinking of some people that I've seen come through the clinic that would like, you try to explain that to them and they would not be down for that. And like, you would most likely just like, would you just lose out on that person almost and not treating them? Or would you try and, you know, encourage them to adopt this model or, or how do you go about that situation? Right. So, um, a hundred percent is not for everyone, but when you build a business, when you try to build it for everybody, you build it for no one. Yeah. And the reality is, is that the, the clients that you're thinking of were attracted to this, this model that we're taught, like they were talking about, like the in clinic, hundred percent supervised model, which isn't wrong. There's always going to be a place for that. Um, so, but you're, you're attracting the people that care about that. There is like, you know, the stats, I mean, it's like seven to 10% of people will actually see a PT this year, you know, like who have an injury that's so low. The reality is that there's, you know, from 10%, probably to 40 or 50%, there are people that have an ache or a pain, but literally wouldn't walk down the block to go to the dock there. But if you're conveniently located inside of a gym or accessible via a video conference, which is how I see a fair number of clients too, they would then take advantage of it. And now all of a sudden you're attracting people to that. So I'm attracting the right clients who fit this into their time and value like view of the world. How do you, how do you think we, I mean, I know you don't maybe have to, everyone has to adopt this way of treating, like let's say from a physio perspective, but how do you think we start to push this to have a transition in how we deliver care? Because I can see how people would be resistant to this. Just thinking of other people that I've, talk to the profession or you just see the state of the profession online or, or conferences and all of that stuff. How do you think we push this? Uh, again, I think it can't happen until the monetization strategy changes because factually right now, uh, even if like unclinically anybody who thinks that they have to feel something, they're going to immediately be like, you can't fix anybody uh, through this method. And I'll mm-hmm. gladly show them like the, you know, the reviews and, and tell them that they're wrong for this population. I'm not saying somebody who's post-op spinal fusion can do this. I would tell them, you need to go see somebody in person. There's a right client to this. Uh, but so like you take the, you take the people who, who you think they need to like feel something on the ongoing basis to be able to fix people, move them out. Then you take the business owner who might be open to this, but one less visit is less revenue to them. So how do you, how do you create a hybrid, let's say version of this where somebody comes in once a week and you use the app to manage them 
uh, at home because the reality is, is compliance on home exercise programs is so low that it's pretty much useless. There's like a 3% to 5% compliance rate long-term on home exercise programs. So if we were to do well, once a week uh, in person and to use the app, which has accountability features, which lets you know when somebody did it or not, to actually do things daily, the results would be tremendous because as you know, to change the human body, it's consistency, not intensity. So if you do something a little five days a week, it's going to exponentially uh, trump something that does twice or three times a week, you know, for, for four weeks or something like that. Hmm. So you're kind of preparing almost, you're preparing almost for the future of a change in monetization of how like, physios consumed basically like or do you think that that's going to change i mean i know we're in different countries too right like the u.s and compared to canada but do you think that that's going to change it in in the in the short term the long term or yeah i think that like if you look at macro cycles of almost all uh industries um there's a period of consolidation and and then the, and then it breaks apart and then we have uh, a period of small business exploration and right now we're at the peak or the beginning of the tail end of consolidation over here in the United States, at least where, you know, this happened in the nineties with health South health South was one of the largest physical therapy providers, I think in the world. And, uh, their CEO's in jail right now. So, um, you know, he might be out, I'm not sure, but he was in jail and, um, the, almost all of the people that I looked up to in the start of my career worked for health South left said, fuck this can't do it anymore, created their own businesses. Then a couple of those got momentum, started to get bigger like we did. And then they made a choice to either start consuming other businesses because that's the faster growth rate. And then once you bring in venture capital money, then you no longer are in control of your own product, which then allows things to spiral out of control. And at some point, the whole thing liquidates and then the whole process starts over again. Yeah. It's like the fire in the Serengeti. It's like the things grow, lightning comes, fires, all burns out. It just keeps happening over and over again. It's in every industry. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it's something me and Will have had conversations about. And I think like um, the way that people are consuming all types, types of services are changing, right? Like that direct to consumer thing is it's, it's, it's our whole world now. Right. So I think like building niche environments or kind of the thing that you're trying to do as a profession is important for people to start doing because when that model does collapse, which most likely it's going to happen, like people are going to want to go somewhere and I think the new, let's just say the new age or younger generation that's coming up are, are totally on board with, with consuming services that way. That's all that they really know. Right. So most people are not going to have a problem with seeing you for an evaluation and then following up online for follow-up sessions and following like online coaching and stuff like that. And they're going to want to yep. go somewhere. So I think it's, I think it's awesome that you're doing that. And that's something that me and Will, I think want to try to do as well. Um, Cause I think it really is the future for, for us. I agree. Yeah. I, I think that is, the, that is the next step, you know, it'll continue to evolve from there. Um, I, I actually want to hit on one thing I forgot to go back to. Remember the whole sec, my anti-sexy thing. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I was recently invited to do a pitch contest and the pitch contest was for, you know, I was chosen as one of five entrepreneurs who have uh, new and interesting startups in the health and fitness space. So counter-strike was chosen uh, that alone was, you know, uh, uh, an honor and something I really was proud of. And then within that, we had to all pitch in front of a room full of investors. And we're talking like the, uh, you know, the, one of the co-founders of like New York sports club investors of the mirror, which is like this new age, like next, next level home exercise thing, like Peloton, but different. And so there's like big time money in the room and we all pitch in 
in, in competition. We had six minutes or less to, to get across, you know, the vision, who I am, the team, monetization strategy, market analysis, five-year financial projections. And uh, I nailed the presentation. I actually hired, like, you'll see me hashtag leave nothing to chance on Counter-Strike all the time. I live my life by that. So, like, I hired a vocal coach. Uh, I went to a sports psychologist. Like, I treated this thing like I was going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I, I nailed the, the performance. And I came in last. <laughs> I came in five of five. <laughs> and um, the reason why, I actually had somebody say, like, oh, you, yeah. you did a really good job presenting that. Uh, idea just isn't sexy. And I was just like, okay. Um, and then the, go to the next person. And they'd be like, you know, great concept. I think like your niche might need it. It's too small of a market. Next person, not sexy. Got the not sexy thing, I think, three times. And um, what, what really that represented was the whole need to rebrand. Meaning like even with what I felt was an extreme rebrand of physical therapy services in the room full of investors that are used to truly direct consumer businesses, truly, um, you know, non-referral based service, like somebody who's going to buy the mirror, the mirror has to be in their words, sexy. You know, it can't be logical, a logical purchase only. There needs to be logical and emotional. And I think I still, even, even with like, I look progressive within the PT community, um, it, when compared to like the health and fitness world as a whole, I'm still just kind of like in the middle, like, Oh, that's a nice idea, but I don't see it being a $10 million idea. That's essentially what, what they are said. So, so two things, well, I'm going to prove them wrong. Obviously I was really grateful to get that kind of, um, you know, that kind of inspiration this early to be told, to, to be told no. Cause like, honestly, if you don't get told something like that earlier on, you're probably not working in some sort of, um, yeah, anything unique. And two, it really just speaks to the fact that we all need to rebrand because if they're thinking that and giving that to me, the consumers they're interacting with, with our brands are, are feeling that even if they're not saying it. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think we, I think it's a good position to sit in though, because you, if you're already thinking about this rebrand idea and trying to take this and put it into the profession, like we're, we're behind, but you're just going to be out in front of of the, of the rest of the profession, which one, when, when things turn, they're going to have to go somewhere. Right. And you, the, there's, you already have a head start. So. Yeah, no, the goal is to lead by doing, you know, it's, um, there's a lot of consultants out there that are making their living actually just doing consulting and not doing the actual business that they say that they're actually can teach you. Um, I think there's only one exception to that. It's Danny Matei. So he's somebody who actually is like, so blunt about like, Hey, this is how I built this business. Here's what I did to build it. Like, this is, this is what I do. That's so different than, than um, most of our profession, which is like, Oh shit. Like, you know, talk about dollar to time wise. Like I would make more money just going on consulting like a binge, you know, but I do it very small on the side because I, I love it. It's fun. But the reality is like, I don't want to sell a webinar of, X, you know, like X, Y, Z. I actually want to like help a fighter win a fight with a skill set that I went to school for, but I also have a passion for business. Mm -hmm. So uh, my, my goal has always been to like lead, lead by doing and not, not uh, jump ship and pretend like uh, some people out there who are crushing it financially, uh, teaching people how to create online, online businesses who have never run an online business at all. Uh, and it just drives me nuts. So learn my doing and be sexy. <laughs> yep. That's, uh, 
<laughs> and I that's my that's summary here. The last 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Frank, is there anything else you want to talk about or anything that you want to get out um, before we wrap up? Um, just everybody should go follow the Level Up Initiative. So that's another uh, project that I'm involved with. Yes. Uh, Zach, Zach DeBoer is one of the most passionate, actually is the most passionate PT I've ever met. Um, he says that I was the second and I don't think I even come close to him. So, uh, the guy is hell bent on, uh, making a movement, you know, making this movement matter. And, uh, I've been involved in the company for just over a year now. And it is unbelievable the progress, like on the ground, you know, it's not just the social media thing. Like we have schools that are, that are changing curriculums based off of, of the way that he and the, the level up team is presenting this information so uh, to to really be at the forefront i strongly recommend you apply for a mentorship at at level up it's completely free uh and it will always the mentorship side things will always be free on that side of business yeah for sure we can attest to that we've been through the the level up like the, the first wave of mentors and we've definitely had conversations with zach and we agree I don't think anyone can match his intensity and passion. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't no. know how Steph deals with him on a daily basis. God. Yeah. She gets, she gets the gold medal. Uh, she does. She gets the she medal does. of honor on this one. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So. Um, Frank, if you just want to let people know where they can find more about you, about your, uh, about Counter-Strike and anything else that you want people to know about, uh, let them know right now. Yep. Sounds good. Instagram's always best. Frank underscore Benedetto. Uh, that's my personal, you'll see, uh, just me who I actually am. I don't, you know, it's just my, my actual personal Instagram, but feel free to reach out. Always love helping other PTs, especially if they're trying to get started in business, like help find your niche and help get you going. Uh, I love seeing people quit their jobs. Last podcast I was on, I pretty much just told everybody to quit their jobs all the time. Um, <laughs> and like stop pretending that there's a future in this corporate infrastructure. Like they've put together a ladder that you're pretending to climb without realizing that you don't give a shit about getting to the top of that. Like regional manager, clinic manager of some sort of chain that builders shit care. Like quit your job while you're young and go figure out, you know, how to, how to make money off doing your passion. Uh, if you know any competitive combat athletes, send them over to Counter-Strike underscore combat sports. So that, that would be hugely helpful to get me, get me uh, going here. Awesome. Frank, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. We know you got a lot going on. Yeah, no on. problem. Appreciate it. You're in the midst of traveling in beautiful Rochester, New York. <laughs> but, yep. Um, yep. but thank you. And uh, hopefully the, the fights go well for, uh, for your athletes this week. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, guys. All right, Frank. We'll talk soon. Take care. Bye.